1: Hello, I'm David Kern with the Cersei Podcast Network,
0: and this is the Ask Andrew Podcast, a weekly show in which Andrew Kern answers your questions about the purpose, essence, and practice of Christian classical education. The episode you are about to listen to was recorded this spring as part of the Ask Andrew webinar series and has been lightly edited to suit the podcast experience specifically. To learn more about the webinars, the podcast, or how to submit a question, head over to searcyinstitute.com slash askandrew. And with that, here is this week's episode. Hope you enjoy.
1: Welcome back to Ask Andrew Live, the third ever.
0: Thanks, Andrea. And of course, Andrea is here to help again tonight. So as you have your questions, please go into the Q&A box and, and add them. And let me just say that I know that if you get your question asked and you only get a one-minute answer, it's going to be a suggestive answer. It's not going to go into all the practical details that you want. Part of that is because I have so much confidence in you. What I want to do is take a minute to reach back and grab a good fishing rod and hand it to you, give you some tools that, that you can work these things through with. But I recognize sometimes it can be frustrating. So don't hesitate to keep coming back with those questions. Okay, but have it, that's just a preamble. Let's talk about the question for tonight. Now, before I do, let me give you give a little bit of review because what I started with on Monday was what I would regard as some fundamental ideas that I try to subject all of my thinking to. Uh, foundational thoughts. You might say, if, if I was a, a better person, these are the principles that govern my thinking okay and and I argued that the the main one is the Holy Trinity himself. Um, I try always to think in light of the Holy Trinity. The second one was the Incarnate Word. Our Lord Jesus is the Incarnate Word, and as the Incarnate Word, he is the form of truth, and that unfolds so many things to us, like a bud opening into a, a rose. I also emphasize nature and purpose as When I think about anything, I'm uh, now probably in second nature, instinctively drawn to the question, well, what is it? What is its nature? And then what is its purpose? Which leads to another pair of words, which are relations and propriety. Given that something is what it is, what's the appropriate way to relate to it? Given that a child is a human child. What does that tell us about how we should relate to, and therefore teach that child? Of course, it gets really complex with people. It's easier with rocks. Um, then I talked about harmony and modulation. I believe that the purpose of thinking is to achieve harmony both in the mind and in the world around the mind, and also in the community that we are a part of. And so, if you're going to, uh, if you're going to be thinking about um, relationships with other things what you're always striving for is that harmony. Okay, so um, tonight I wanna add two more words and I'm not gonna say a lot about them because I'll talk about them all the time, but think of it this way, there's body and there's breath or there's, there's body and there's spirit, there's structure and there's wind, right? There's breath, spirit. There's, there's discipline and there's inspiration. We tend to think of those as in conflict But I don't think you have to teach very long to realize or or study very long to realize that you need both. You cannot master an instrument. You cannot master any skill without having both the discipline side, the formal side, the structure side, and the breath of God moving across it, which is why disciplined poets take the first line of their poems to call upon the heavenly muse, right? Okay. so all of that is context. Now, the, the specific question that we talked about yesterday was about reading. Um, uh, Well, it was about clarifying the should question, because I believe that what we're always doing as humans is asking the should question, and that when an author tells a story, he is being driven by the should question. And it dawned on me today that I should clarify something here, Um, simply practical, and sometimes it's aesthetic, and then I got thinking about that. And I've come to the conclusion that, in fact, we can, generally speaking, divide the should question into three areas three quests that we're always on. One of them is, what should I believe? One of them is, what should I do? And the third one is, what should I adore? And of course, that you can see that that's should in relation to the true, the good, and the beautiful. Why should we believe something? Because it's true. Why should we do something? Because it's good. Why should we adore something? Because it's beautiful. You see, and I think that if if we can keep that straight, then it doesn't have quite the threat of moralizing and, the, and the, um, the danger of it. So then we started talking about reading literature as literature, literature for literature's sake. And I argued that, that literature has its own purpose, that literature is a thing with a nature and a purpose. And so we should relate to it as what it is, right? And so today, what I want to talk about is what I'm going to call fundamental literal, liter, literal, fundamental literary skills. Okay, fundamental literary skills. And what I mean by this is not college level stuff. Okay, I'm talking here about things that that you start teaching your children when they're two. You see, well, no, you don't. You start teaching your your children immediately. You start teaching them this when they're in the womb. You start te- you you start cultivating these. Human faculties, and if you do that, then they will become good readers, and they will become good thinkers. I believe they'll become good g- decision makers, and they will be able to contribute to their community. But if you isolate literature and make it this academic subject here by itself, where the purpose of studying it is to get a grade, well, then then you're going to lose so much. You can you might still get a lot. And many kids will just spill out of that absurd reason for studying literature. They might just like it because it's adorable, right? In the best sense of adorable. So they might somebody might fall in love with literature in spite of the way we teach them. But what if we could teach them in a way that's consistent with the nature of, of literature and, the, and is consistent with the purpose of literature? And by the way, consistent with their nature and their purpose as human beings and children and, and growing up into manhood or adulthood or lady ladyship, your ladyship, right? man manhood or what whats parallel is it ladyness or womanhood I guess anyway so so let's talk about that now for well when I talk about basic fundamental literary skills, I love to go back to the book of proverbs and and I love so much the the very first seven or eight verses of the book of Proverbs because they keep surprising me they keep they sound so un pious. That's what I'll put. They sound so unpious. In fact, here, let me read them to you. And because because this is a literary discussion, I'm going to read them to you out of the only English literary translation, which is the King Jimmy. And it goes like this. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction. Excellent. Oh, what I want you to do while I read this is note the verbs. Of course I did to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding. Again, note the verbs, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, and judgment, and equity, to give subtlety to the simple. Huh, that's a bit surprising to me to find that in the Bible. To the young man, knowledge and discretion, a wise man will hear and will increase learning, and the man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels, to understand the proverb and the interpretation, the words of the wise, and get this, and their dark sayings. Modern translations here use words like riddles. They're riddles. The ability to, to solve the riddles of the wise. And then he says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So what I want you to notice is the verbs. Perceive, receive, get the jokes, yes. Um, then that, that wisdom gives subtlety. Now, go through the next eight chapters of Proverbs, the first three, four, five verses in each chapter, and he comes back to this theme of, of what are the verbs? What are the things we're supposed to do? He says in, in um, chapter two, receive my words hide my commandments incline thine ear in chapter 3 forget not but let thine heart keep right these are such great great verbs keep hide and what i want to um suggest to you is that This is what literature begins with, that if you want to be a good student of literature, if you want your children to read literature well, those are the things to start with, right? Hide things in your heart. Remember, hold things, keep things. Later on, he'll talk about cherishing, right? But now notice there's a need to perceive. You can't keep what you haven't seen. And what I want to suggest to you then is that underlying everything else you do as a human being, and therefore underlying how well you read, how well you teach, how well you do sing, whatever you want to do, there's one thing you have to do that everything else depends on, attentiveness, pay attention. Everything we are and become depends on what we pay attention to. And therefore, the single most important thing you teach your children when it comes to literature is how to pay attention. Now, there's a there's a specific kind of paying attention, or at least a category of paying attention that applies to literature, especially if it's written. Than if we're looking at you know baseball, there's a different kind of attention in in sports. There's a different kind of attention in dance and so on. But you have to whatever you're doing, attention underlies everything. And that leads to the next thing, which is this. In Latin, one of my favorite words is queso. I seek. Can you hear an English word that comes from that? Q if I if I could say qua queso, if you wanted me to make it a little earlier Yeah, quest. And therefore question. Have you ever stopped to think that question implies seeking, that it implies a journey? Okay. If you're paying attention, no, sorry. If you want to pay attention, if you want your children to pay attention, if you want to cultivate attentiveness, the way to do that is to raise questions. If you give your children questions, you've done a lot more to help them read than, than if you give them answers. And that's why, while well, somebody mentioned Lost Tools of Writing helping with this. That's why in the Lost Tools of Writing, which is actually a reading program, we give questions, right? Right. Because if you, if you pick up a text and you start asking questions about the text, then you're going to look in the text for the answers to those questions, and that's going to make you pay attention. Now, that's simplistic, I know. It's a generalization. But so many of the problems we have in the way we teach, um, well, they do if they have their own questions. It's, I'm, not saying, I'm not saying that you should ask the question and demand that they ask the same question. One of the worst things we can do as a teacher is, is beat the question into them. But what, what those five common topics do, the, the comparison question, the definition question, the circumstance question, and then back to the should question, what questions like that do is those, those are questions they ask anyway, right? If you, if you go into a question that you choose and absolutely they, they prefer, but the reason they jump to conclusions is because they asked the question that required a conclusion. So maybe what we need to do is, is intervene a little bit as teachers. A, we need to slow them down by asking questions, right? We challenge the conclusion. There's no doubt they jump to conclusions. And, and with, well, we don't look at all the evidence for anything, do we? So what we have to do is do the best we can. So you're, everything you're saying is true, but the solution to it is to dig deeper into what I'm saying. Cultivate their attentiveness, ask more questions, Keep asking, what do you mean by that? Keep asking, how does that compare with this? Keep asking, well, what was happening at the time? It certainly is dialectic. I would argue, I would argue that, that underlying and permeating, um, well, I'll say the lost tools of writing, but classical rhetoric, teaching, the, the energy of teaching is the dialectic, right? If you think of, of dialectic as simply the laws of logic, right? Then you're going to drive your kids nuts. You're going to give them all form and no breath. You're going to give them all all body with no spirit, right? But if you but if you but if you give them these questions and and then you're engaged in a quest, right? A quest. The dialectic is the means to the end of getting our souls home, of discovering ourselves, right? Okay, so so. Um, i didn't mean to talk so much about the lost tools' writing it 's just that what i 'm talking about is the common topics and so so there Andrea, would you mind just typing the categories of the five common topics and then and then the should question because basically what we 're saying is there's the should question and then there's common universal questions that we're always asking that help us, and the reason is because they help the child pay attention so anyway what i'm I wanted to be a little more general in this specific part of this inquiry, <laughs> um, there's there's these basic questions that we are born to ask, right, that we can't not ask. And we're always asking them, how is this like that? How is it different? We're always comparing. We're always defining. We're always considering circumstances. We're always, frankly, we're always looking for witnesses and authority. And so then what we need to do is teach our children how to use those basic questions well, more and more and more. And by the way, this is so, so important. Professional teachers have no choice but to, to recognize this because they only get kids for about a year typically. But but parents, we can be exceedingly impatient about this. But there's only so much a child can learn in a given period of time. If you've got a child for one year, right, not much is going to happen in that year. But something significant is. And so what's crucial is that you're always (laughs) giving them fishing poles. So attention and perception are crucial and receptiveness. And then what I have one minute to talk about is the whole idea of interpreting signs, because fundamentally, what you are doing when you read a book is you are interpreting signs. But that's not as weird as it sounds, because for the last 14 minutes or so, you've been interpreting signs that I've been throwing at you. And stop to think about it for a moment. Think about what a genius you are. Because I've been pouring these words at you, moving around in circles, throwing them for almost 15 minutes now. You haven't had to count them. You haven't had to separate them. You've been taking them as as sentences and as concepts. And your mind is so brilliant that maybe I've lost you with my confusing way of talking. But nonetheless, you've been able to basically understand what I'm talking about. Why? Because you've been interpreting signs, right? Every word is a sign. Every sentence is a sign. The structure of a poem is a sign. And what you're, and what you're teaching your kids how to do is interpret signs. And the, the, the best way to start that, I argue, is, is with the should question, because it draws them into the text itself. And if you're really asking for their opinion, they, they like that a lot. Right, and now you've got a form of instruction that you can breathe into. Okay, forgive me. I, I didn't realize how fast my time disappeared. So I'm gonna, unless unless I get a just mind blowing question that sweeps it away, I'm gonna pick up tomorrow on the on the, the the skills of interpretation. That's what I really wanted to get into today. But how do you teach the, this this very general concept of interpreting a text? And but what I want to strongly emphasize is. That way of putting it sounds really scary, but it's not. You've been interpreting signs since you screamed for milk, right? It's what we do. You've been, you just have to name it, right? You just have to come up with names for it. And fundamentally, what we're teaching kids to do in school and in a homeschool setting and in our classes and whatever is simply learn how to interpret signs. And then learning how to interpret signs opens up whole new worlds to them okay i'm gonna I'm gonna stop there. I'm sorry for 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 uh I got lost on the attention thing. It's important pay attention you become what you behold. all right yes. pause semicolon period exclamation point I'm done. Now all I right. get the short questions
1: all right, so your first question from your live audience tonight is how did you start your journey toward classical education?
0: Oh goodness, that's not a one minute question. <sighs> OK, so, so I, I drank it in with my mother's milk when, when she read to us from the Chronicles of Narnia and told us stories. I OK, started, do you
1: want the second uh, half of that question? It might be a one. In, well, here's the second half. What would you change if you knew then what you know now?
0: Nah, be- I, I, I'll, I'll just deal with the first question. I, 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 um, I started the same way you all did. When I was a kid, I got read to. And, and one of the main things that I was read to out of was the Chronicles of Narnia which is the 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 model the the image of classical christian education and was written i i believe lewis was writing it to start a classical renewal um and then when i was a teenager i read tolkien so so that combined with bible compared with the love of mythology that's that's what got me started i also love math love math so those are the things that got me started on it um I will address that second one if you want me to for the second question, because I can't. Have you slit your throat yet about this minute yet? Yes. Okay. Okay. Um, so, so the second question is, what would you do differently? And, and I'll tell you seriously what I would do differently. I would, I, would, um, I would become fluent in Latin before I graduated college, if not high school. Absolutely. I would study music. I, well, I'd study music, which I didn't do and i would and i would um i would not use my car accident as an excuse to stop math at geometry mm. um i would i would have i would have gone uh, much deeper into into geometry music and and uh, latin or greek but the other thing i'll say is i would have not gone to school I, I would have i would have skipped school every day or begged my parents to homeschool and said just let me study because by the time I was in seventh or eighth grade, I would, have got, I would have gotten a lot less trouble at home than I did at school. And so so um, what I'll say on that line is I would not have studied subjects, okay? Because the question was, if you knew now what you did then, I would not have studied subjects. Subjects are a catastrophe for the mind. I would have studied the seven liberal arts, and that's all you can learn. So that's all I would have studied. All right.
1: All right. Thank you. You're welcome. So- I think this one is a good tag to what you just stated. Uh, We have a question here. I studied Latin, and I have lots of pragmatic reasons for studying Latin that I can tell people to justify why. But help me see the reasons that aren't pragmatic. Help me see the good in Latin that is in and of itself to use alongside the valid pragmatic reasons.
0: Well, there are idiosyncratic reasons for studying Latin or selfish reasons. I don't know if the evidence really proves that you're gonna get a better grade in, in on your SAT by studying Latin. I don't know if it's really gonna get you into college. I know there's a correlation, but I don't know if there's proof. There's beauties in Latin that are astounding, but that's true of any literary language. But the question that comes to my mind is, was the Renaissance a good thing? Okay, if you believe the Renaissance was a good thing, then you have to figure out how good a thing you think it was. And then you have to realize that it happened because they found new Latin books. And those Latin books had been lost for centuries. And they got, found some Greek ones, too. But the real, to me, the, the, the one reason, the second best reason to study Latin is civilization needs it. The best reason to study Latin is the church needs it. And it's not hard to demonstrate historically that between 1880 and 1920, when they stopped teaching Latin in high school, theology and the ministry collapsed. So if you think that the ministry is not in good shape today, you can trace it back to the years 1880 to 1920 when they stopped teaching Latin and Greek in the public high schools. Also, my favorite answer came from Christian Kopf. It's quick. The best reasons for studying Latin and Greek is because those are the languages that the bride sings to the groom in the most.
1: Mm. Well, I think I'm gonna to toss this one at you then. Oh dear. Why Latin and not Greek? Because you just Oh, no books.
0: reason. Absolutely no reason. Except for me, for me because it's accessible. Right. I, I, there's somebody that that like Luciana's here. She can help me learn Latin. Buck Holler is teaching me Latin in, a, in an apprenticeship. So, we, you know, that's why I, good grief, Greek is harder. It's, it's a much more difficult language. So maybe, you know, if I, if I was a kid, I would learn Latin to fluency as fast as possible. And I'd like to think I could have got to readable fluency and conversational fluency by the end of high school. And then I would have used Latin to study Greek, but I mean, if you, if you have to choose, choose whichever, whichever is more accessible to you. But good grief, everybody everybody knows that if you ever hear me talk, you know, I'm, if I was a pagan, I would be a worshiper of Homer. So, so uh, you know, I'd much rather be reading Homer in the original Greek instead of the Latin translations I have to use. Um, so uh, no reason, in other words, it's accessibility. Yeah, but I don't have time right now. That's the problem, right? I'm 56 now. Good grief, it's too late. Uh, Virgil forever. Yes.
1: Are you ready? I think we're on question five. Okay. Okay. Right. We're on yep. number five, everyone. Yep. I thought this one would be interesting considering where you've been and what you've stated so far tonight. Can you give an example, an explanation of using some of the five common topics with math?
0: Oh, sure. Sure. <laughs> what are you doing in math? Most of the time you're trying to define things, especially geometry, right? You, uh, you want to know what a triangle is. What's a triangle? The whole, the whole, the, re, the reason for studying shapes at first is to define them. The way you learn what a shape is, is by comparing it with other things. The way, the way you calculate is by making comparisons, right? You start by saying how many, how many teddy bears are in this pile and how many teddy bears are in this pile. And the child compares them, notices they're three and one, Two and the other, they're different. Or there's three and one, three and the other, they're the same, right? What is an equal sign? It's a comparison. Um, so, so the comparison and the definition are right there at the surface. Um, I suppose circumstances is less obvious, but context isn't. And if you bring in story problems, then that's what that's what you have to do is you look at the circumstances and you abstract out of the circumstances the part that isn't circumstantial, right? The part that's universal. And so you learn how to filter your thoughts. Okay, there. Ran out of time. (laughs) You also have to listen to authority. Yes. And relations, logical relations. Okay. (laughs) I'm done.
1: Oh, so many great questions tonight. I'm tempted to give you more. Um,
0: But we're all done, aren't we?
1: But we're all done.
0: So Karen Harris asks, where can we learn more about the five questions? Does she mean the five questions that you just asked me? I
1: think she might mean the five common topics.
0: Yeah, the Lost Tools of Writing is a, is a whole program that's... Because the thing about the five topics or k- kinds of question is that you start simple, but it telescopes, right? You can say, what is this? And you've just asked the definition question. But as the years pass, you learn at least 12 different ways to define things. Right? Mm-hmm. But you can't learn them all at once. So, so you want to start with your kindergartner defining as she's, well, three-year-old... And then you just build it, you you build it up, right? It's the same with all of them. This is the trunk of the tree of knowledge, right? And I don't mean the knowledge of good and evil. It's the trunk of the tree of learning, let's say, is these questions. God breathed these questions into our minds so that we could know him and so that we could take care of the world he put us in and so that we could love our neighbor. That's what they're for. And if we lose sight of that, they'll still benefit us in short, pathetic ways, but they won't help us forever. Yes, the five common topics of invention. Yeah, the argument builder from CAP. Absolutely good. They are Googleable. Googleable.
1: Well, and classical rhetoric for the modern student is good as well as Office of Assertion. I, I actually highly recommend that one. The Office of Assertion. It's very appropriate. those
0: two books for the parents, for for the yes. teacher, for the adult, for the our college student. Yeah, uh,
1: but like I I'm going to be very biased and step in to ask Andrew for a second and let you know that. The Lost Tools doesn't just teach you the, the five common topics so that you can teach it to your students. It helps you think along the way and it does it in a very slow, methodical way to give your mind a chance to do it. Um, mm-hmm. And then uh, uh, Andrew, uses it, Andrew says it telescopes out, it expands out, and goes into many places. And so you learn an introduction to them in level one. And then come level two, you refine them. And in level three, you refine them again.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's important because you, you really never do ask other, any other questions. It's, it's weird to say that, but you might feel like you've got bazillions of questions in your head. You don't. You have about, I would argue, you have about nine or ten questions that you're always asking, but you're giving them different forms, right? And the should question is obviously the driving question. Um, what should I adore and worship? What should I believe and what should I do? And everything follows from that. well, listen, our time's up, and I will see you all again tomorrow. I hope come back, bring your friends. um I can see that each day there's an attrition going on, so there's more people getting bored out of their minds. but then a few come in and replace them, so it's really great to see some some names that that i I honestly didn't expect to see here, and it just gives me so much pleasure. this is I have to just tell you, forgive me for getting whatever, but this is the highlight of my week these days because even though, even my granddaughter here, it's such a great break. It's such, it, and it's so great to see all of you. Keep the questions coming. I love, I love thinking about them. And may the Lord remember you and his kingdom.
1: Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince.